And now, live, it's time. Which team, by colors alone, is identifiable around the world? It's time for the JT the Brick Show. Which team, by slogan, commitment to excellence? On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Just win, baby. All those things are the Raiders. Here's your host, JT the Brick. Welcome back, everybody. JT on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Hope everybody had a great weekend. And we are back here to walk you through the victory against Cleveland and what it means for the Raiders going forward. Just an important moment for them to get back to 500 after all the adversity this year and maybe build some momentum coming into the Denver game. There's three games left. Two of them are at home. All the callers that are excited about this, I mean, it's either talk about the victory against Cleveland, how ugly it was, but a win, or pivot and quickly get to Denver as we have a short week, as we're off for a Christmas Eve, and we all, all hope you have a great holiday. Christmas celebration, and if you're traveling, be safe on the road. We'll be here for you. And it's that time of the year. There's a lot of players who are going to be out of this Seahawks lineup tonight. So we have two games on Monday, uh, Tuesday night football. Washington, Philadelphia, and Seattle, and the Rams, depending on where you're watching. The Rams game is interesting. They go to 10 wins. If they win, Seattle's just pay, playing for pride. And it's a flat-out elimination game between Washington and Philadelphia. Both teams are 6-7. and seven. The Raiders beat Philly, and they lost to Washington. So Raider fans will keep an eye on that game as we watch that one tonight. Uh, COVID is the biggest story in all of sports, no doubt. COVID is the biggest story in all of sports. The NHL is skipping the Olympics due to COVID. Massive story, and the NHL is going to have a pause. They're in a pause now over this holiday because COVID is running rampant. Same thing in the NBA with COVID and COVID concerns. So those are big concerns for the NBA. And then the NFL, we know about this. There were cause for concern with the Browns, and that's why they moved the game back to Monday from Saturday. So the Raiders have got to stay clean. The Chiefs have Tyreek Hill and several other players on the COVID-19 list. And I think the MVP story is also a pretty big discussion. Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady or Jonathan Taylor coming up here of Indianapolis. I I think those are the three that we'll keep an eye on. And then other teams are playing well. Other teams are in chaos. You know, there's a lot of bad teams here in the NFL now that are just going through the motions. And we didn't want to see the Raiders get to that point. We didn't want to see the Raiders get to the point where they were just playing exhibition games. I had a buddy of mine tell me that yesterday. He goes, thank God the Raiders won because the next three games would be exhibition games. And they would have been right. The Raiders have to win against Denver. And then we're taking this to New Year's. We're taking it from, you know, mid to end of December. It's December 21st. And we can take this right up to New Year's and right after New Year's with the Raiders having a mathematical chance to do something. I mean, look, the Vikings are keeping their playoff hopes alive. There are a lot of teams in the same exact boat as the Raiders. Same exact boat as the Raiders. The Raiders are one game back of the final playoff spot, and they have some tiebreaker scenarios that are an advantage to them. They have some tiebreaker advantage scenarios with Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Miami, as we talked about. The problem is they don't have an advantage with Cincinnati and Cincinnati. And look, I picked Buffalo to win the Super Bowl. I I thought that was a pretty good pick when I made it. They're the seventh seed now, so I'm rooting hard against my pick. I hope the Raiders get that seventh seed and knock Buffalo out. But the playoff picture, as the Raiders went from 12 in the seedings to 10, 
helps out a lot. So the Raiders are ahead of Miami. They're ahead of Cleveland. Man, did I nail that? I, I spent all freaking last week telling you that the Raiders could jump Cleveland with the same record, and they did. Miami's won six in a row. They're 7-7, seven and seven, but the Raiders have the tiebreaker because they beat Miami. The Raiders beat Pittsburgh and Baltimore, and those are the only two teams in front of them on the outside looking in. So the Chargers are 8-6. and six. I don't think the Chargers are going to lose to Houston. It could be a shock. I think Buffalo's got a massive game here coming up with New England. So what happens here is New England can get eliminated from the playoffs coming up here soon. New England's 9-5, and five, Buffalo's 8-6. and six. If Buffalo wins, they go to 9-6, and six, and they jump New England as New England goes back to 9-6. and six. And Buffalo, when we take a look at the conference record in New England, they're going to battle to that one seed. The other team might miss the playoffs uh, due to their wild card. And then Baltimore doesn't have a healthy Lamar Jackson. Ben Roethlisberger is getting older for Pittsburgh. And Denver is behind the Raiders. Three spots, but if they beat the Raiders, the Raiders will drop down to where Denver is, and Denver will jump up to where the Raiders are and be in it. And Denver's legit. They got good players on both sides of the ball, but they got a quarterback that's hurt, and they're going to go with Drew Locke. And last year, the Raiders beat Drew Locke. I mean, this would drive Denver bleeping crazy. Crazy if the Raiders sweep them again. If the Raiders are able to sweep them again, I'm telling you, these Denver fans are going to lose their mind absolutely lose their mind so that's where we're at today we're going to play a chunk of the post game show yesterday where eric allen and i had some fun yesterday also eddie pascal is going to join us from the raiders digital team in a few moments here and now we're scoreboard watching and wondering what needs to happen the rest of the way here so follow me on this as you're dialing 702-365-9200 the raiders are now in a situation where they need help they got to win games. They got to win games and then get some help. So, who do the Raiders want to see win and who do the Raiders want to see lose? As I told you, it is completely up in the air. Completely up in the air when it comes to the Bills and New England. I would have thought for a while that both teams would make the playoffs. And I would have thought for a while that both Kansas City and the Chargers would make the playoffs. That'd be four of seven teams. Someone's going to win the AFC North, just one team. The Bengals are in first. And then in the AFC South, the Titans have a one-game lead over the Colts. But the Colts have won two in a row. If the Raiders beat Denver, which I expect they will, the Raiders-Colts game is going to be critical. Because if the Raiders win, they're going to go to 8-7. and seven, And I think the Colts can lose a game. The Colts are playing the Cardinals coming up here. If they lose that game on Christmas, because the Cardinals are 10-4, and four, and they're going to try to right the ship. If they win that game, then we're talking about Indy and the Raiders being tied going into the Indy game. So that would be an elimination game. But it only happens if they beat Denver. So the playoffs, to me, are pretty simple here. At this point in time, you want Indy to lose. You want the Chargers to lose. You want Buffalo to lose. You want the Ravens, the Steelers. But some of these teams play each other. And the Raiders win the tiebreaker over Cleveland and Miami based on head-to-head games division tiebreak was initially used to eliminate denver but vegas wins the tiebreaker over denver based on head-to-head win percentage if they beat them again and miami is the team that should be scary to everybody because whatever they're doing they figure that out miami's playing at a very high level so that's where we are as we open up this hour 702-365-9200 
9200 as we're waiting on Rich Basaccia. Uh, let me get these two calls up. I always start with Chris in West Oakland at the top of the hour. Go back to the game. Chris, how are you? Hey, JT, yeah, real quick, before I go back to the game, I think the team we need to lose, and the easiest way for us Raiders to make the playoffs, one, take care of our own businesses, win, which, you know, that's going to be difficult enough. It's probably Indianapolis because we don't have the tiebreaker with Cincinnati, but every other team we have the tiebreaker with or they're on our schedule. We can eliminate Denver. If the Chargers lose another game, they still got the Chargers on the schedule. But if Indy loses one more game, that head-to-head matchup with the Raiders basically becomes a playoff game. Raiders can win that game. They get the head-to-head, and that would put them in the playoffs. We won't get a tiebreaker with Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh has a tie in there, and that's going to screw things up. But let's go back to last night's game before we talk about coming up. Look, a win is a win is about all I can say. But the frustration level watching that team last night Passed the ball right down the field, eight for eight. The only time we ran the ball, we screwed up and got holding penalties three times on the first drive. We're at our best when we go up tempo, but this coaching staff doesn't seem to want to win. They want to win a certain way. And I'm tired of watching this team not do what it does best. Josh Allen is not Marcus Allen. Quit going into games thinking we have to get him going. Peyton Barber is just as good, if not better, a better option right now. We scored on our first drive. We scored on our last drive last night. Oh, and we scored right before halftime also, even too quickly. Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder can see the Raiders are at their best when Carr's calling the game from the line of scrimmage. The pace is faster. We're not taking forever to get the plays off, and everything is just smoother. I don't know why they have to be desperate before they do what they do best. Defensively, yeah, we made a huge play stopping uh, Chubb at the end of the game to get the ball back. But again, JT, I'm calling for it over and over. At some point, this defense has to help the offense out, give us a short field to work on, give me a couple of turnovers. We can't keep playing quarterbacks that are turnover machines and never. A couple of turnovers or interceptions last night, and that's a three-star game, and we're not sweating it at the end. But again, it's not an exhibition. We're alive after Christmas. Keep winning, and we're keep staying alive. And that keeps me from only concentrating on my Golden State Warriors at this time. The Raiders have kept me interested after the first of the year. Merry Christmas to everybody. I won't get a chance to talk to you. We play a couple of games. And uh, go Raiders. I think they're going to beat Denver at home, and I think they're going to put some points on the board. 27-17. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, I hope to hear from you, Chris. Thanks a lot, and have a great Christmas. You just wonder when the Raiders go up 10 nothing, why they don't go up 17 nothing, why they don't go up 20 nothing. Where, Where is the momentum and the attack mode to keep it going? And for those who say, and I'm, I'm kind of one of them, I, I say it too, well, keep the offense open. How many times have you heard me say, open up the offense and keep it open? Well, you got to tip your hat to the opponent for getting the Raiders off the field. But the Raiders this year are throwing underneath more than I can remember because of the inferior offensive line. And they're having a lot of pressure on them on third down. I was saying yesterday, there are plays where it's, you know, second and nine, and they'll pick up eight yards or seven and a half yards, and you go, oh, my God, it's third and one. they got to go on third and one again. Like, if on second and nine, if they can throw it ten yards and get a new set of downs, but they're throwing underneath. And Derek's great at opening up the middle of the field. Open up the middle of the field. Once you win, Raider Mort always says this, once you win the middle of the field, you win the game. And I think that's a strength of Derek. If there are more routes, crossing routes over the middle, and he can take advantage of that. Passionate Raider, you're up next. Thanks for waiting. Go ahead. Hey, Merry Christmas, JT. But, yeah, man, 
last night I was a little upset, like Chris said, Chris and West Oakland said, man, watching the game, it was a little depressing, you know. My, my biggest, we, we won the game. Yes, we did. We're still alive in December, and we still have meaningful games that we haven't had in a long time. So, yes, I, I can say I'm happy about that today. We, we got another week to prepare, and hopefully the cards line up. But, JT, you, you just said what I was going to say about Jacobs, man. I, I think right now Peyton Barber is the better option. Jacobs just looks like he's running hurt. Like he, he's not running with the Jacobs that we've seen before. And I, I don't know, maybe just use him in them, in them pass routes because that's really when he was only getting yards. And my, my biggest critique still, JT, is we have to score touchdowns. We scored touchdowns last night. We kicked their ass. We didn't score them touchdowns last night. They hung around and almost beat us. If we're going to go anywhere further this season, they have to put seven on the board. Thank you for taking yeah. my call, JT. You got Have it. Thank day. you. Yeah, they got to throw in the end zone. They can't throw short of the end zone. I agree on that. Throw it into the end zone, get a flag, get a touchdown. If you throw a pick, at least you took a shot. I, I agree with that. The Raiders got to attack the end zone more because I think they have the players to make plays. And Brian Edwards made the best catch of his life on that car throw. That car throw to Edwards was about as perfect of a route, a pass from the quarterback, and a catch as you'll ever see. Let's go out to the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center where Rich Passaccio, the head coach, is addressing the media. Hey, uh, afternoon. Um, I'll start with, right now, injury-wise, uh, Jonathan Abram um, had his MRI today, and so we'll, uh, we'll know more as the day goes on and uh, see what his prognosis is uh, through the week, but uh, we'll certainly know more by the late afternoon. Um, Darren Waller and uh, Denzel Perryman both um, stayed here over the weekend and had treatment yesterday and today, and uh, they'll be both be a work in progress. We'll know more again um, as we get to the end of the week. And then Nate Hobbs is still in the uh, COVID reserve um, position at this particular point. So with that, I'll answer any questions you may have. Rich, um, in spite of everything that you guys have dealt with, uh, you guys have put yourself in a position where kind of control your fate. Um, I think a little few things have to happen, but for the most part, you win out, you're going to make the playoffs, generally speaking. Does that become the message? I know it's a one-week-by-week week proposition, but to get this far and to be where you are, does that kind of become the big-picture message? Well, certainly. I think, again, all the above, you know, we, we're excited that um, we're relevant in December, right? That's what we all try to do. We all want to get in the tournament. That's part of it. So uh, we do know um, where we are, what, what the race looks like. We're very respectful of that, but uh, we still have to take care of our part, right? We have a um, chance to play at home this week, and uh, it's a little bit of a short week because of what went on, so we'll, we'll adjust to that and, and um, hopefully have a great week of practice, and then we'll see how we respond come Sunday. Assuming um, preparation for the uh, Broncos began prior to you guys even taking the field yesterday? Yeah, I think that which was fortunate for us. You know, we, we thought we were going to have time to prepare for them a little bit earlier, uh, but because of the situation we ran into, we took Saturday um, as it would have been the Monday that we had gotten after the game and uh, gave us a chance to um, get prepared for them a little bit ahead. And then, you know, fortunately, it was a later game for us, and we got the, the game that they played on Sunday yesterday morning, so we took a good portion early in the morning before we met with the team uh, to play Cleveland to kind of go through that game that they had just played. 
seems like Devon Diablo has seen his role grow week after week since he kind of broke through in that Washington game due to some injuries. Uh, you know, as somebody, obviously, you worked with him a lot when he was contributing on special teams early on in the season. How have you seen him grow and develop to this point where he's able to, to fill that kind of role? Well, I think he's um, certainly got more versed in what we're calling on defense and how it works, and he's played multiple positions for us. You know, on defense, I think Richard Smith's done a great job with him, you know, getting him prepared week in and week out, and more practice reps, more practice reps, more practice reps. And I think in special teams, we had a chance to see him make plays in space on kickoff, make tackles in space on the punt team, really did a good job protecting Forrest with the punter, and he's still on both of those units. So I think we're excited about the progress he's made, um, getting more and more reps on defense, and now it's starting to, to show up in the game. So we really expect him to play well each week. Rich, after you watched the film, was there anybody that you weren't able to see at game at, at field level that you th really stood out to you? You thought, wow, they played really well. Well, that inside, Jonathan Hankins and Solomon were, you know, they, they've been great against the run all year, but it was exceptional uh, not only throughout the game, but certainly that, that last drive where a defensive stop, you know, defense stopped them and gave us a chance to get the ball back. But both of those guys, it's hard to see sometimes from the sideline like you talked about, but when you turn the tape on and you see the force that Hank's playing with inside and you see what Solomon's doing on the retrace and making the big tackle, you know, for a three-yard gain and um, those guys coming out of the stack, the, those are the ones that stood out from the film. Now, from the side, we had, we had a lot of good energy on defense, the way in which we played. And I thought we gave Derek a little bit more time than we had the past few weeks you know, in the pocket, and he did a good job at times stepping up as well. So, but those two guys, Solomon and Hankins inside, were big factors for us. And I think Cleveland Farrell played one of his better games. You know, he played on punt for us again, got um, made a tackle down there and almost blocked the punt, had a good rush for us there, and, and played well for us on defense again as well. Rich, is there any uh, genuine hope slash expectation that Waller and Perryman can get on the field today? Yeah, I think there's always there's always hope. You know, we're hoping every day. And, and uh, I think they've made progress at different times and then um, hit a little bit of a setback when they've pushed a little bit more maybe on the field and, and uh, tried to cut or change directions, um, both of their particular injuries. So, um, yeah, I think there's, we're going to go into every week with those two, hoping that we can get them both. And uh, we'll always wait to the, to the very end. Hopefully being at home and, and them staying here over the weekend can get them a little bit closer. Rich, it looks like Teddy Bridgewater with that, that injury that he had last week probably isn't going to suit up this week uh, and Drew Locke will start. Uh, is it a situation where you're kind of looking at tape from last year, the last couple of years, where Drew Locke to kind of prepare for him even though it's a different team? Yeah, I think Gus will do a better job answering that. But, again, we're going into a game where we're preparing for multiple quarterbacks, you know, going into this past weekend, and um, our defense has done a really good job with that. So I think it'll stay status quo. And, and uh you know, they, they were tough for us last time we played them, and they were tough last year when we played them, and regardless of who the quarterback has been, and they're really well coached. They're good on defense. They're a physical team, and we seem to go down to the end with these guys as well. So it's going to be a tough game for us. We're excited to be back home. Rich, you have two out of the three uh, at home to finish the season. Haven't done the greatest job of defending uh, the home turf. Is there anything that you can put your finger on about why that has been the case? Yeah, I think we talked about this, right? We talked about we've been playing good on the road, and, and uh, I don't know, maybe we'll go out of town and stay at a hotel or something this week. But, no, I think that uh, we're going to have a particular practice schedule because of the short week this week. It look a little bit like last week's did because of the beginning of last week was a short week. So um, hopefully we'll be fresh and excited to play uh, regardless of where we're playing. But we, we need to play better at home. I think we all know that. I think we're excited about playing in our venue. we got Raider Nation here. It's been great energy when we've been in our stadium. I think it would be time for us to um, man up a little bit and, and play better at home. Rich, Max, I don't know if you saw it or not, Max had a pretty emotional response to being named Pro Bowl. From a coaching perspective, and as you said, you're building men here. 
knowing his history, how how satisfying is that to see him get to where he is from where he was two years ago? Yeah, he was just in my office, so he, I don't want to get emotional. But, um, you know, I just had news, me and him and Al Kingold up there. And, um, you know, just, just Max was voted a captain, you know, by his, his teammates. And I think for that to happen, what he had gone through and, and going through rehab and putting himself in that situation and so to get voted by uh, his teammates to be a captain was certainly monumental for him. It was certainly showed that... Um, he had the power of example that others wanted to follow, right? And now the football part, I think what you heard him say is, you know, I only have five sacks. And what I talked to him about was what you're teaching people to do is look beyond the numbers. You know, look at the relentless effort that the guy plays with every game and, and look at the relentless effort that he puts into practice. And so he has become the power of example in a lot of ways. And, again, the other thing that he's done a – tremendous job of in his time here is because of the things he's gone through and Darren Waller has done this as well they're they're both they're speaking out right they, they feel like if they can help one person if they can just um get to to somebody um not only on our team but on the outside both of them have done both with our team and with people on the outside so I think as men if they feel like they can give back um It'll come back tenfold to them. And I think that's the, the big thing for Max. I think that's what got him emotional is to know that he's put himself in position because how he's grown and changed his life and, and um, become the power of example, not only on the field, but just how he's um, responded as a man. At the risk of trying to compare him to somebody, which I wouldn't, wouldn't ask you to do, but in all your years of coaching, is there somebody who his style reminds you of, the, the relentless, just going all out every single play? Again, I've been fortunate to be around a lot of great players, you know, in, in my time and, and um, been doing this a long time. He's, he's unique in, in, in who he is, and um, he's unique in his stamina. Um, he's unique in his, his effort. He's unique in his mindset. Um, I just can't say enough about what, what he's done for himself um, and then now how he's trying to give back to others. So I'd rather not compare him to anybody else. I just think he's special and unique in his own way. All right, that's head coach Rich Passaccia, a portion of it. If there's more on the back end, he got pretty emotional there. That was an interesting surprise here about Max Crosby. We know Coach Passaccia has been around a long time, and you could tell he was emotional with that question and his answer on Max Crosby. When we come back, we'll go into the facility, Eddie Pascal from the digital team, to talk about some of the takeaways of the game against Cleveland and what to look for against Denver. We are brought to you by Doghouse Saloon inside Resorts World, right next to the theater with Katy Perry, Carrie Underwood, all the stars play. They got an amazing sports bar venue with the sports book and live entertainment, Doghouse. Yeah, it was just, uh, it just brought back memories. Like, don't make it emotional. It's just like, I was in rehab, like, <laughs> almost two years ago. And now I'm in a Pro Bowl. Like, it's just a blessing, man. I show up, and I try to be the best teammate. I try to be the best teammate every day. And show my guys that I care. And um, I just hit home, man. It was uh, it's special. It just... It makes my family proud. I can't, my girl, my, everybody around me is calling, blowing up, blowing up my phone. I'm like, I'm like crying like a baby because I just know I've worked so hard and it's, uh, it's starting to pay off. And, you know, Coach Marinelli, 
got to say something about him because he pushes me every day. Um, pushes me every day to be the best best player I can be, and I want to kill him sometimes. <laughs> he wants to kill me. He wants to kill me, but um, he just wants to see the best for me, and he knows what I want. You know, I want to be the best in the league, and he pushes me to be that guy every day. And um, there's so many people I can go on and on, but this is exciting, man. Uh, it's a blessing for sure. It's Max Crosby. Great soundbite. I consider Max a friend, uh, one of the few younger guys I've gotten to know because we don't have the access we used to have with COVID. But what a gentleman. What a tremendous story. Let's go back out to the Raiders facility. Eddie Pascal joins us from the Raiders digital team. And, Eddie, it was about as ugly as a win, but to get off the field on third down, as Coach talked about, and giving Derek one more chance, paid dividends, a, a, a monumental moment this season. How'd you see it? Yeah, I mean, good to, good to talk to you, JT. And yeah, it was, it was a huge moment. I mean, yeah, I think you said it perfectly. Like, we'll, let's not pretend this was the prettiest win that we will be talking about for years and years to come. But at the end of the day, the Raiders got a win when they absolutely had to have it. And hats off to Gus Bradley and his entire defense because, like you said, after Derek Hart throws that interception, you had that feeling like, hey, they just need one stop. As crazy, as, as kind of bizarre as this game has been, they just need one stop, and Derek's going to have one more chance to go win this game, and that's exactly what they did. Nick Chubb got the ball three times. Uh, Gus Bradley's defense held up. Huge, uh, huge shout-out to Jonathan Hankins and Solomon Thomas as well for doing their thing on that final drive, really the whole game, but that drive in particular. And I think it's just a testament to that group and what they've become, what they've grown into over the uh, over the past 15, 16 weeks. And, and now we look up, JT, the team 7-7, seven and, seven, and uh, I mean, for, for all intents and purposes, they really do control their own destiny over this final three weeks. Eddie Pascal joins us. I agree, Eddie. This is not a best-case scenario because they should have beat the Giants. If they beat the Bears, they're probably there as the seventh seed or right on the door. Now they've got to clean up some stuff and get to work again. I still think the offense is struggling here. I thought they could have put up a lot of points. And the media who's saying that they were missing 18 players and eight starters, they couldn't stay on the field. There were a couple of fumbles couple of mistakes. Derek fumbled when he went to the ground on one sack there. That's really important that they clean that up for Denver. I think they match up better with Denver than they do with Cleveland, but they're going to have to play a much cleaner game and cut down on some costly offensive penalties. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think the, the penalties have been one thing that has plagued this offense the entirety of 2021, but you, you look at, at the moment that we saw from this offense yesterday. I mean, you look at that, that first drive from Derek Carr and the Silver and Blacks offense. I mean, Derek goes, what, 8 for 8, 60-something yards and a touchdown, and you're thinking to yourself, like, yeah, this is it. This is what we've been waiting to see. Like, this is the Derek Carr we know and we've grown to love for the past seven, eight years. But now let's see it for a full 60 minutes. And if the Raiders want to really make a run over this final three weeks, and I caution everyone to look ahead too far down the road because, you know, it's a week-to-week league and the Raiders have to handle business at home on the 26th for us even to continue this conversation. But if they, if they want to do that against a, a good Denver team, a Denver team that will likely be out with, excuse me, without their starting quarterback, this offense is going to have to find that game year, and they're going to not only have to find it, but they're going to have to stay there for a full 60 minutes, because we, like I said, we've seen the glimpses of it, and we've seen it for a quarter, we've seen it for a half, but to see it for a full 60 minutes at home, I think, would go a long way in securing a win for the Raiders. Uh, Daniel Carlson, I believe, Eddie's got to get nine points a game the rest of the way. He's got to make three, and then a couple of touchdowns, he had a single point there for the extra point. I think his math now comes into play. Because considering this Raider offense, I don't know when they're going to wake up out of the slumber. And if they get caught in the red zone and they don't you know, pick up a, a first down, they want to go for it on fourth down inside the 10, I'm fine with that. But if they're outside the 15 or they're 
up to the 25-30 yard line. Carlson has got to win games like he did against Cleveland. I think they're going to really count on him these next couple of games. And look, I'm with you where traditionally I'm I'm a big take-the-points guy Mm -hmm. nine times out of ten, and especially when you have Daniel Carlson who's playing the way that he's playing. Uh, Our our pal Josh Dubow tweeted out the other night, or last night I should say, that since he joined the Silver and Black, Daniel's 12 of 13 on kicks in the final two minutes of regulation and overtime. Hasn't missed one since his team relocated to Las Vegas. So when you have a weapon like that, when you have a kicker who is as dialed in as he is is right now, I mean, you have to take full advantage. And look, the red zone is issues have been uh, an issue that we've talked about for the past couple months, but at the end of the day, and Derek was talking about it last night, he goes, if you can find a way to get to the 35 and give Carlson a shot, at this point, after what we've seen from him all throughout 2021, you have to feel good about giving him that chance, and I think he's earned the chance to go but put up three points if this offense does stall out in that portion of the field. Eddie Pascal, Raiders digital team, and talked about the injuries. Coach just mentioned uh, Nate Hobbs still being in COVID protocol. So you got Hobbs, COVID, Waller, Mullen, Perryman, Drake, Alec Ingold, Nick Kwiatkowski, Richie Incognito, Gerald McCoy, Derek Carrier, Denzel Good, Nicholas Morrow. I mean, look, Eddie, people are talking about COVID and some teams being decimated. What is it like covering this team, you know, doing the team podcast, following up on who's healthy or not? Because a lot of guys are not coming back. It's imperative that the guys who can get back here before the end of the year, this is beyond the stretch run, try to play even if they're not at 100%. I mean, when you list it out like that, I think it really does kind of put uh, into perspective just how many injuries that this team has dealt with, especially over the past couple of weeks. And, and to your point, though, uh, you'll take at this point uh, a Darren Waller at 75%. Darren Waller at 75% is better than a lot of tight ends in the NFL. Yeah. The same thing goes for, for Denzel Perryman. But, I mean, you're 100% right. We have three weeks left, three weeks left in this regular season. Each of these games is vitally important. First up on that list is the Denver Broncos, uh, a division game at home where the Raiders have struggled, and you and I have talked about this before, about the struggles of this, that this team has found playing at Allegiant Stadium, especially this year. So to your point, if you can get some guys back, even if they're not at 100%, and let's be honest, I don't think there's a lot of players in general in the NFL who come the holidays are at 100%. I mean, you need all of your guys out there. You need to have the full complement, or as full as that can be, uh, of your guys ready to rock over this final three weeks, because after all the craziness, JT, after all of the drama, after all of the really unfortunate things that at times have happened to this team in 2021, they are right there. They need a little tiny little bit of help to get into the postseason, but everything is there in front of them, and it all starts this Sunday back at Allegiant in front of Raider Nation. Big game, and we'll look for your coverage leading up to Denver and how these teams match up. Thanks, Eddie. See you this week. Appreciate you. Appreciate you, JT. All right, Eddie Pascal. We'll see him later on in the week as we pivot and break down the Denver Broncos, something we're good at here. We see the Broncos twice a year. Raiders have had the edge on them. They need the edge for one more game. Let's sweep Vic Fangio again. When we come back, Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus. Really good insider. We'll hear what he has to say about the Raider game. And I want to go around the league with him. If the Raiders are relevant, I'll talk about the Raiders. More so in some of these interviews. If not, I'm moving on and covering the NFL. That's what the calendar says. But we got Raider interaction today because the Raiders are alive at 7-7 with a big game with Denver coming up. We're pumped up for the opportunity.
Renfro are both to the left side with Zay Jones. Richard in the backfield. From the gun, quick lob over the top. Edwards reaches up and grabs it. Touchdown! Jackpot, baby! Great touchdown to Edwards. Perfect execution. JT, back with you on Raider Nation Radio. Thrilled that Sam Monson had time for us and we could fit him in from Pro Football Focus, their lead NFL analyst, and also a great podcast. Sam, thanks for coming on. And I want to begin with that Saints win over Tom Brady earlier here. What's the secret sauce when you look back at the tape and how they win? Yeah, it's funny. They they obviously have Tampa Bay's number in the regular season at least, but when you look back on it, it's not a great blueprint for anybody else to, to try and replicate and say, oh, that's the way you beat Tampa Bay. Things that we were expecting and have just become accustomed to being good for the Bucks simply weren't. You know, Their offensive line is up to number two, I think, in PFS latest offensive line rankings. It's one of the best pass-blocking units in the NFL. Tom Brady gets the ball out of his hands quicker than basically any other quarterback in the league. And that offensive line was under siege in that game by the Saints. Now, New Orleans has a pretty good defensive line. They can get pressure, but that was not a mismatch that should have gone in New Orleans' favor to the degree it did. And, you know, they played some aggressive man coverage across the board. And, again, that's something other teams have done before, and it shouldn't have caused them the kind of problems that it did. For whatever reason, Tom Brady and this Bucks offense – just has not been able to find its groove against the Saints since he became a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Is there truth to be said, I saw it with the Giants winning their Super Bowls with their defense against Brady, take away the middle of the field and make them make the tough throws outside the hash mark on the sideline? Is that something that New Orleans does? Because the middle of the field and the pressure up the middle seem to really kind of get Brady off the spot and not get him into a rhythm. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think if you can get pressure up the middle and move Brady off the spot, you can definitely have success against him. But that isn't unique to Tom Brady, and nor is it necessarily you know, a repeatable skill. I mean, this is something that, that, that the Bucks have been really good at stopping teams from doing all season long because they have such a good offensive line. But in this game, Alex Kappa in particular, right guard, was really struggling and, and got beaten time after time. Um, and that's something that hasn't necessarily happened all season long. Kappa gave up a ton of pressure. Ryan Jensen at Sender gave up some. Ali Marpet gave up a bit. Like They just got beaten in a way that they hadn't all season long. Even Tristan Wirfs, who has been, I think, their best offensive lineman this year and the best right tackle in the NFL, Tristan Wirfs was giving up some pressure as well. So mm-hmm. I, there is truth to you know this idea that if you move Brady off the spot and you can get pressure up the middle and force him to – shift around in the pocket, you are going to have more success And if you're not able to do that. But I, I don't think that's a particularly repeatable thing and not necessarily something that the Saints were able to mass- to achieve simply by you know, determining that's what they wanted to do. That was just a, a, fact, a feature of how they actually caused problems for Tampa Bay. Sam Munson joins us, Pro Football Focus. I'm fascinated about last night with the Raiders and Carr. They seem insistent on running the ball when they're better passing the ball. I mean, we know the numbers that we've seen now. Carr, four years in a row, 4,000 yards. That is rare air there. But it seems like the Raiders still give up plays where they just hand it off up the middle. And Josh Jacobs might get you three yards. Josh Jacobs now has become a a 50-yard-a-game guy. I mean, he doesn't get near 100 yards. And the strength of the team is Carr with the Raiders' remaining games. Shouldn't they go all in on Carr 
playing at that level and going four wide and up-tempo? How do you see it when you look at the Las Vegas film? Yeah, I think they should, but I think they're scared of their own offensive line, which is one of the weaker units in the NFL. Alex Leatherwood, uh, their rookie first-rounder, has been one of the worst offensive linemen in the NFL. He actually had a pretty good game against the Browns, but that hasn't been true for most of the season. They've got guys like Brandon Parker, starting on that offensive line, Andre James, Sander, like they have a lot of weak links on that line. and I just don't think they trust it to hold up in pass protection. It's basically Colton Miller, who you can forget about in terms of surrendering pressure. And the other four spots are a hit waiting to happen. And I think they just think that they have a better shot of running the ball behind a bad offensive line than they do passing it. And they're probably not right. You know, ultimately a bad offensive line is going to stop you having any kind of success on the ground just as much as it's going to stop you through the air. The only difference is teams are more prepared to sacrifice the health of their running back than they are their you know, franchise quarterback. But I think you're right. You need to just accept that your best shot of combating a bad offensive line is putting the ball in the air, getting it in the air quickly, and playing the kind of offense that Miami does with Tua. You know, a lot of RPOs, a lot of quick uh-huh. passing, and try and get defenses on their heels that way. Uh, Cowboys beat the Giants 21-6. to Why only 21 points? I mean, the Giants are god-awful. They, they give the ball back so easily with three and outs. They're pathetic with this offense here. Dak only threw for 217 yards and a touchdown. Was that at least the Giants playing stingy defense on the back end, or do you see more problems with the Cowboys and their offensive rhythm? I think Dak Prescott hasn't been himself since he came back from that calf injury. Um, he hasn't had a, a fantastic game since that point. He's been just noticeably off uh, every time you watch him play. You see missed throws. You see ridiculous decisions that he shouldn't be making. And he really hasn't hit those heights from earlier in the season. And as long as he's going to play like that, they are, they're at a level. They're, they're not going to get back to that absolutely scintillating form that they were in earlier in the season, even if they've got those great receivers and really good offensive line, they need Dak Prescott to be at his best to take advantage of it. And we haven't seen that guy for a while now. So I think that's why he, that the last few games have been closer than they should have been. You know, he almost let Washington back into that game when they should have been completely out of sight. And the same thing against the Giants. Like Dak sort of rolled to his right, took a ridiculous sack type of fumble and almost let the Giants back into the game as well but I think he's really at the root of um, the reason this offense hasn't been as good as it looked earlier in the year Sam Munson as we wrap it up pro football focus Thursday night Niners Titans who do you like in this game Titans are five and two at home and the Niners are five and two on the road and I like the way the Niners are playing I just don't know what the identity of the Titans are anymore can they protect their home field Yeah, I think the Titans are just so beat up with injuries at this point that it's really tough. They're just clinging on to the the lead and the the situation and the status that they put themselves in earlier in the season with that run of wins um, and hoping that they can make make it to the playoffs and get healthy enough at that point that they can still do some damage. But right now, the 49ers are one of the hottest teams and one of the hottest offenses in the NFL. Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't had a bad game basically since Kyle Shanahan you know, was almost resigned to him being the starting quarterback and, you know, answered, I guess so. I guess he's our starter. At that point, Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't had a bad game, like eight consecutive games, I think, of of pretty good grades. They have some of the most unique playmakers in the NFL, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, 
Um, Brandon IU, Kyle Juszczyk, a really powerful offensive line. They are absolutely rolling right now. And as much as the Titans are a well-coached team, their defense has been overachieving, I just don't know if they have enough for the 49ers, the way they're both playing. Sam, last game, Carson Wentz was 5 of 12. Five completions against the Patriots. And I look at this game coming up against the Cardinals. This is a massive game. It's a road game for the Colts. They got their rhythm. They've won two in a row. I believe they won, what is it, five out of their last six here. And they're telling you every all the time that they're going to run it and run it hard with Jonathan Taylor. I mean, he could have a massive game, but does that help the Cardinals simplify their defensive game plan to stuff the box here? Or, or every other team that plays the Colts going forward is to stack the box, take your shot, try to take Taylor out of the game and see if Wentz can beat you long. Yeah, that probably is what it has to be. Wentz has generally played a pretty clean brand of football this year, but that was a game that showed you that last year's Wentz is still there. Like, he's still sort of below the surface, potentially ready to break out at any time. He's got 14 turnover-worthy plays so far this season, which is actually a pretty good number, and 10 of those have come in three games, right? The, the Patriots game, he had three of them. The Titans game, he had four of them. And that ridiculous weather game, the rainstorm in San Francisco, he had three of them. So those three games account for almost all of the the bad plays that he's had this year, the plays where he's really put the ball in harm's way. Um, so, you know, if you can get a clean game from Carson Wentz, the Colts are really hard to stop. But if he has one of those games where he just tries to implode and throw the ball to defenses multiple times, I mean, it's really hard for them to win those games. Now, I know they actually won three of those disasters, or two out of the three disastrous Wentz games, but if he does that against a team like Arizona or any of these teams coming forward, it's really tough for that Colts offense to overcome that kind of um, bad play. Sam, who are you leaning towards for the MVP? Rodgers, Taylor, or obviously Brady coming off being shut out? What I'm basically asking you is, did Brady lose the MVP by getting shut out at home? It's tough to give an award out for that. Yeah, I don't think he lost it, but I think he's opened the door now to those other guys. Like, he's still the leader in the clubhouse. I think he it was his award by default up until that game, and that's definitely a game that made it much more of a race now. And Rodgers, I think, is the guy most likely to step through that door if it's been open. But for me right now, it's still Brady by, you know, by a little bit, um, and then Rodgers right behind him. I just, as good as Jonathan Taylor is, I just I don't think you can give – MVP to a running back anymore if you actually really believe in the value element of the award because you know no running back has the kind of impact on an offense that the quarterback does yeah I could I could debate that with you a lot I just think the award I don't think of value at all I think of it as a stat that's how I look at it it's, it's a Jerry Rice running back quarterback maybe defensive end whoever has the best stats because I don't like value anymore, Sam, because if the GM stinks and the owner's not good or, you know, you're dealing with COVID, this or that, you have to put, you know, emphasis on value. And I don't know what value is anymore. I just look at the stats. Like in baseball, I look at home runs, RBIs, and wins, you know, strikeouts, and I try to give the award to the best player, even if you're on a bad team. But now we put so much value into a player having to be on an elite team or, or a playoff team to win the award. Yeah, I think the MVP award has kind of become corrupted over the years. Like in most sports, MVP is just the best player in the league in any given season. In the NFL, for some reason, we've got lost down this road of trying to quantify value. And 
that point, it can only ever go to a quarterback given the way the game has gone. So I would be all for just giving it to the guy with the best season at any position in the NFL. Thanks, Sam. I appreciate everything you've done for our show this year, having you on. Every couple of weeks means a lot. Your analysis and your work is fantastic. Best of holidays to everybody at Pro Football Focus. Thank you. Anytime. Thanks for having me, and uh, happy holidays to you, too. Right back at you. Sam Munson, Pro Football Focus. And I could have that debate all day long, and I've done it for years. You know, I don't talk about how good-looking a quarterback is. I don't debate that. I debate the MVP, and I think we need to get rid of the V in the MVP value. We have no idea what value means for a, for a player. One player could be out at a strip club till 4 in the morning, most likely not during COVID, and the other guy, it could be Russell Wilson waking up at 6 in the, at six in the morning, going to a children's hospital, sitting down with kids. What, what's value? We, we sit there and we let voters figure out value. No, we shouldn't. Whenever people vote on stuff, they usually screw it up. It should be very easy. It should be who is the best player, who had the most touchdowns, the least amount of interceptions, the highest quarterback ranking, you know, all of that, and you look at it, and it should jump off the page at you. And this year with Brady and Rodgers, they're playing at a very similar level. So if you want to pick Brady, you want to pick Rodgers, that's good. But Jonathan Taylor should be able to jump in because Jonathan Taylor changed the game. Now, you could say, well, the Colts are a borderline playoff team. Who cares? That's not Jonathan Taylor's fault. He's the best player on the team. He's doing his job. If the cornerback and the safety are blowing interceptions and giving up touchdowns and losing games early in the season, that shouldn't affect the MVP race for Jonathan Taylor. It should be about how many touchdowns and rushing yards he has. We really screw it up when we, we, we try to debate value. We have no idea what's valuable to a human being. What's valuable to you might not be valuable to me. So just look at the stats. To me, the easiest award is baseball. Baseball, the MVP, should be home runs, RBIs, hits. You just look. And you add it up and say, this guy was better than that. Bryce Harper plays here. This guy plays for the Mets. This guy plays Trout for the Angels or Otani this year. And, and you add it up and you go, that's who had the better year. So for the MVP, it's down to three guys. And you can include T.J. Watt, but he's missed enough games. If you miss a couple of games, you probably can't be the MVP in any sport. I say that in the NBA all the time. If you miss 10 games or more, you're out of the MVP race, period. You're out. You can't miss 10 out of 82 games and, and get a trophy for that. But in football, you miss one or two, you could still get it. So as of now, I'd have Brady with the advantage by a little bit. Aaron Rodgers coming on strong. And if Rodgers is able to win the MVP award after all the nonsense off the field, immunized but not vaccinated and all of that, man, that will be a really strong moment for him to tell the league, screw off. You know, I, I did what I wanted to do on my own terms, and I'm the MVP. And remember, Derek was playing like the MVP for the first couple of games of the season. And right now on NFL Network, they're replaying the Raiders' uh, final drive. If you have a chance to get to the TV, and the stop on third and three was electric. Hankins, Divine Diablo, to give the ball back to Derek Carr. Derek gets the ball back with a minute 50, a minute 50 to go, and no timeouts on his own 29, and they win the game because all he had to do was get to a field goal on the first play, he checked down underneath. It was incomplete, so he looked for Josh underneath for only five yards, and it kind of was a blessing that he dropped the ball because that would have just kept the clock going and they wouldn't have picked up a lot of yards 
on that play there, and Josh just dropped it. It went right through his hands, and then they were trying to get Carlson ready. Derek on the next play, I thought it was my favorite play of the game other than the Carlson kick, was when Derek found Foster Moreau, and Foster Moreau, who lined up kind of in the slot area, uh, threw a block to Miles Garrett, then jumped out and got out, and, and next thing you know, the clock was running. And he ran the ball to the ref, Foster Moreau, ran the ball to the ref, because he was in a sense of urgency. And as I'm watching this now in real time, if you didn't get a chance to see it, and you probably did yesterday but not on the replay today, there was chaos going on. Carr was 20-32, 185 yards, a touchdown and an interception. It was third and seven on their own 32. They started on their 29. And it's third and seven, excuse me. The game is on the line, and Derek throws an unbelievable route across the middle of the field to Zay Jones. And Zay was able to pick up the first down, and that was the beginning of the field goal. That was it. That was a huge third down and seven. And where did Derek throw it? He threw a slant route over the middle of the field, which was wide open. Then he dumped one underneath to Josh for nine yards, and they were getting closer and closer. Hope you enjoyed it today. I really did. Good to celebrate a victory. I'll be on all week, the rest of the week at night on Sirius XM from 7 to 10 p.m., channel 82 we're off on friday for christmas eve if you're hitting the road i wish you and your family a tremendous holiday a great christmas thanks for listening all year thanks to our partners and thanks to everybody we're excited that the raiders have a chance as they're now seven and seven and control their destiny again and we'll preview the broncos the rest of the week have a great day everybody thank you Raiders!